Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. So Wes, I'm really excited about today's episode because it's something that when I looked out there, there just wasn't a lot of information on, and that is around creating presence when teaching online in the primary and secondary education space. So teachers have been effective classroom leaders for decades. I'm always impressed at back to school night when we walk in and there's chaos with all the parents and students there. And all of a sudden, the teacher pulls out some little one, two, three eyes on me and everybody quiet in they the classroom. They just grab your attention. Yeah, <laughs> and they manage that classroom like nobody's business. It's really impressive. But now they've been thrown into this virtual world where some of those same things don't necessarily work. And although I've seen trainings for college teachers, I haven't seen a ton for primary and secondary education teachers. So I'm very excited because today we have an acting coach and teacher herself, Susan Finch, joining us to talk about how to be that commanding presence while teaching online. Thank you, Susan, so much for being here today. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Deb and Wes. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I was trained as an actress. I was so blessed to have spent four years at the Juilliard School. This was many, many years ago. But I went through four years of boot camp training there. And it was eye-opening and wonderful. And that training helped me as an actress, as an acting coach, a voice and speech coach, and a dialect coach. Just before COVID happened, I was working as a dialect coach on Broadway. The Girl from the North Country, which is the Conor McPherson musical about Bob Dylan. And we had just opened great reviews. And I was also working at the public theater on a show called Coal Country, another musical that's one taking place down south, and uh, then COVID happened, and everything changed. Broadway went dark. All of Broadway went dark. And my online teaching has grown. I've been teaching at NYU Tisch School of the Arts for over 30 years. I have been invited back to coach at the Juilliard School, which is really wild to go back to the school I went to and, and teach. And I quite often teach actors still, and my online experience has changed in that I find it easier, actually, to reach actors. Sometimes I will work with a Zoom class with 15 people. Oh, wow, that's a lot of people. Yeah, I thought this is going to be challenging, and you can see everyone at the same time. So you can see when people fade out emotionally, when they get tired, when they're curious. In the classroom, I sometimes create a circle. And sometimes I'm in the center of the circle going around looking at people's articulators, their tongues, their mouths, their 
lungs, and I can only see one person at a time. And Zoom is great opportunity. You see the entire ensemble at the same time. So in many ways, I find this easier and more exciting and more intimate. Wow, that's definitely not a way I've ever thought about it, of being able to see everybody and, and thinking that this is a positive and, and thinking about it in that, that kind of way. Yeah. I was quite surprised myself. You have a background in helping people to be effective presenters. What exactly makes somebody an effective presenter? Listening. Listening to whoever it is your message is going to. Listening with your eyes as well as your ears. I actually stole this technology from two great friends of mine, Ariel and Shia Kane. I give a shout out to them. They have, well, you should check their website out, transformationmadeeasy.com. Now, I went to Juilliard, and Juilliard has amazing acting training. But these guys who do not teach acting, it's a master class in acting because they teach listening. I have an agenda when I walk into the classroom, but listening with my eyes and my ears, as I mentioned, seeing the whole class, or if it's one client, listening to see what they are receiving. Do they receive my message? What do they need? My job as a teacher is to be generous and give my students whatever they need. And that will change day to day. So if I have an agenda and I say, this is what I am going to achieve, but then students show up who are tired or bored, or distracted. I've got to change my plan. And I do that through listening. So listening is the answer. It sounds like that's a great combination of kind of listening and reacting and pivoting, almost like a, a dance you're doing back and forth with the students. Mm, that's beautifully said. I agree. I like that. Yeah. And could you tell us how has that changed with everything being online now, what is the difference in how you present or you're effective in communicating in person versus online? I feel there's an opportunity for more intimacy online. Blowing my mind in the real world. What do we call it? The real world? This is, this is the real world. <laughs> what we're living this in right now. <laughs> this is the real world. But in person... There's an opportunity for intimacy as well, but there's something about having this little bit of distance where I allow myself to be vulnerable as a teacher and give feedback, honest feedback to my clients, my students. And if I take that risk, then it's easier for my students to respond honestly and with intimacy. Uh, practically, now you're not seeing it now because I knew we were Zooming. You're not seeing it now. I didn't bring my uh, lights. But practically, a lot of actors are auditioning now with self-taping. So lighting is very important. Lighting and framing yourself, making sure that you look in the camera, that if you have notes, that the notes are eye level rather than taking yourself off camera and being distracted. And I ask that my students 
as well put away their other devices, their phones. They don't take notes, actually, in my class, which I, I know is bizarre, but note-taking can be distracting, and my students are brilliant, and they can recap after the class, but that they stay focused in the camera as well. And for actors, not for humans, for anyone, being here, being present, staying centered in your body and in your breath is vital for effective communication. Also, right now I'm standing, and I like to have it set up so that I can stand and sit in a moment. And I find sometimes my students get fatigued online, and standing, doing stretching exercises, some breathing work breaks up the hour, or sometimes I teach an hour and a half sessions, and to break that up is important. Yeah, it's a bit tough to just sit and focus on one thing in, in a seat for an hour straight. True. Do you find that when you're standing and presenting, that impacts the way you deliver? Is that why you vary it, or is it for other reasons? I feel I'm more in my body and more centered. I'm going to do a shout-out to uh, the Alexander Technique, which is a body breath technique. I am not a certified Alexander teacher, but I love this technique. And many acting schools teach this. And actually, at Juilliard, they give it to the actors, but also to the dancers and the musicians so that there's ease and flow and it's stuck in your feet. And it starts with an awareness of your spine and breath. And sitting is wonderful, but I feel more engaged and more centered in my body. And I ask my actors to start in a standing position. We also do a warm-up that gets them centered in their rib cage, their lungs, their entire body, because we're not just talking heads. We're holistic beings, and we need all of us, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. And I find standing helps me get there easier. I like that incorporation of movement, starting the class with a warm-up and then a break in the middle with some sort of movement to keep people engaged. I also find it interesting, you talked a little bit about the setting, so I want to explore that a little further. You mentioned lighting, so that's one element. But what about backgrounds and props or what else can make an effective kind of presentation setting the scene? Because now people do have that window into what's behind you and it's not necessarily the classroom. Right. Well, I am not a fan of the Zoom backgrounds where when you move, your head gets enveloped and you disappear. And again, do not look at my background where you can see the back in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but keeping it clean, keeping it simple back there, but colorful and personal. There's nothing wrong with showing some bit of yourself. As long as you're the primary focus, the human should be the focus. If there's a lot of clutter or distractions, it can take away from the person. We want to see you. And I ask that for my, my actors as well, that they look at the class as if they're directors and how they are coming across. And it, it's wonderful practice for the future of 
self-taping or presenting on Zoom, your faith is primary. That's a really interesting perspective is you're looking as if you're filming it and you're the director and getting the preview because then you have a different mindset of, of how you're positioning everything. And it's, uh, it's really good to think about or come from that position. I think we've all become directors and lighting <laughs> technicians, and sound engineers. Yeah, I even think that that's something, you know, we have a, a young daughter who's in first grade, and I think that's a concept even first graders understand, right? Look at it as if, if you're the teacher, how are you centered, right? Or if you are directing the class, are you giving the attention that you would want others to give you? Those are concepts that they can understand that teachers can use at all ages. I agree. And this concept of using your eyes and your ears to listen, if I were to continue this conversation, it's like, yeah, yes, mm-hmm. I'm looking out to the side now. Uh, I got you, Deb, yeah, Wes, mm-hmm. great. The chances of me following a thought, which our brains are these amazing computers, and we follow thoughts so quickly. But if I use my eyes and my ears to focus in on the camera, then there's less to do. And I can listen and use my instincts because we're all such amazing, amazing beings. We've made it this far on the planet. And I feel we often forget how brilliant we are and what amazing instincts we are, especially teachers who have been doing this in the classroom for years and switching over to Zoom it can happen very easily. It needs a little, we need a little practice. And I'm looking at a little green dot and imagining you're there. But it's an opportunity for true intimacy. And if I notice that a student is distracted, it affects the entire room, the entire ensemble. We need everyone. You know how when one student is absent, we feel their absence. Or if someone turns off their camera, it feels voyeuristic. And to have everyone present, when one person is distracted, it affects the entire group. And our presence helps others become brilliant just through listening. So how do you handle that situation? In other words, how do you effectively engage on an individual level when you've got this class of 15 and they're just all these little Zoom boxes, are you able to really look at every individual and bring them in and make sure that they're paying attention even though you just have their little square with their face in it? I am. And I love it when we're all unmuted. It can sound cacophonous when we're doing a warm-up where everyone's doing silly speech exercises with their tongues and doing strange Peter Piper exercises. But... If I notice that one student is not aware or has, we've lost them, they've, they've followed a thought, they're distracted, I'm honest with them. And I'm not going to call them out and make them feel uncomfortable, but I will ask, what's going on? Or what do they think about what just happened? And what's their feedback on someone else's work to include them? Because it's not their fault that they have an amazing brain and they follow the thought. It's what happens. But if they notice that they've left and bring themselves back, then it's miraculous. And how important their presence is. 
how needed we all are. And the sense of ensemble is so important in theater, in film, in the classroom, in life. When I'm going to the grocery store, connecting with people, it's about human connection. You know, that's, it's interesting to me because I would say common practice is to put everybody on mute, right? With the theory behind that, that there can be distractions from people inadvertently saying something and it distracts the whole class. But if we think about what the brick and mortar classroom is like, if somebody blurts something out in the middle of class, that's a distraction there. So why not apply those same principles and leave everybody unmuted? And that forces good behavior, I think, because then people aren't blurting things out. They know they'll be heard and adds to that engagement. It's something I hadn't thought about until this conversation. And so it's, it's fascinating to me because it goes against, I think, what most people out there are doing. I really prefer it. Unless when I'm in New York City and a siren's going off, then I will mute. Then but you must perpetually I, stay on mute, by the way. <laughs> I, I am on mute a lot, especially lately. True. But so I toggle back and forth. Yeah. But I like to hear people's breath or mm, or some laughter or a comment. As you said, maybe someone needs to blurt something out. That's appropriate. I want to know if people have questions or if my message is landing. It's not that I am lecturing to someone, but that I'm including the whole group. So I prefer it. One of the things that, that you and I spoke about previously that I found interesting, and I don't think these were the exact words you used, but it was around listener fatigue and things that a presenter can do inadvertently that may fatigue their listeners and or distract from the presentation, depending how you want to phrase it. But what are some of those examples? Staying connected to your breath is so important. When I was a kid, I thought taking a breath meant lifting my shoulders and breathing. And with an audible inhale, I had no idea that my throat had nothing to do with breath. It was the passageway for my breath, that my lungs were my source of breath. So staying connected to breathing. And I have some very simple exercises that I give my students to connect with their bodies, their lungs, their breath. Slowing down vital. We rush so much. Rushing, you leave the moment, and it's hard to see how the communications have landed. The other thing, we talked about something called vocal fry, which is instead of taking a breath and letting the communication come forward to envelop the listener, we can breathe in and let it die back here. I'm doing a very gross imitation, but it's an energetic swallowing rather than letting the communication come forward. And it's become prevalent in our society. I'm not sure why, especially with women. Women tend to do this more of this while letting it die. There's nothing wrong with being enthusiastic in life and allowing your communication to land. That's the other thing we do, especially in America, I find. We, we let the communication die. 
hi, Wes and Deb, it's really good to see you. Instead of, hi, Wes and Deb, really good to see you this morning. Letting that come forward. And there's another thing called glottal stop, where on a vowel or diphthong, instead of keeping the back of the throat open, we can pop or have a stop. I, apple, egg. If I were to listen to vocal fry for half an hour continuously, if I were to listen to glottal stop or someone dying at the end, I think I would get tired. The other thing is keeping your message fresh. Again, it comes back to being passionate. Whatever teacher is teaching, I'm sure they have a love for their subject. So keeping the ideas fresh and having a new idea rather than I'm going to talk to you today about voice and speech and how breath is connected to your thoughts, but allowing yourself to be excited. If you're excited, then that's going to translate. Absolutely. You've given us some really good advice of how to be in live sessions, but in particular, if you're doing a recorded session, how does, if any way, does your advice here change? How do you navigate that? Well, you two are recording, and the wonderful thing is you have each other, and you can listen and look and communicate with each other. Also, to have intimacy with that microphone. This is something Deb and I talked about when we met, to have a, an awareness of an inaudible inhalation. And even if you were, maybe you were recording without anyone, to imagine that actors do this all the time. Imagine that you have someone there or recruit a family member because to have someone to speak to is vital. But keeping the airflow open, the back of the throat open, taking an inaudible breath and having intimacy and delicacy with that microphone, you both have been doing this for a while and sure you realize you don't have to work so hard with a good mic. It's very true. I was sharing with Susan that when we first started recording, one of the things that I had never realized is how loudly I breathe, apparently. And so it was something that I quickly became self-conscious of and then had to let go. And I think the now, by the way, all the listeners are going to be listening to how loud I breathe. So sorry, everybody, for that. Um, <laughs> But I think what was the bigger enemy than this breathing was how self-conscious I got about it. And then I changed my speech pattern to try and compensate. And then I came across very strangely in the recordings. And so it was this big snowball effect. So I think one of the things that I learned from my experience was just relax. There are a lot of things that we do, but the fixing those is something that you can work on on the side. I think staying focused on the subject matter, being confident in how you're delivering and delivering with excitement can come across much better than focusing on some of those little things which you can work on as you go. So that was my big one. Yes. You've said so many amazing things. I, I love what you just said. Actors quite often judge themselves. People judge themselves. Actors can be so self-conscious. Teachers, humans can be self-conscious. If you switch it around to, rather than thinking about 
How am I breathing? How am I sitting? How am I coming across? Your brain cannot do two things at once. If you let that gently fall away and listen to whoever, right now, it's Wes, it's myself, I'm going to drop my internal judgments to listen to both of you. I can't take care of both of you and judge myself at the same time. So if you can't do two things at once, and the judgment will be there forever, but you can become skilled. I can become more practiced at listening, dropping the internal judgment, and taking care of the people in front of me. And you said something about being nervous. I feel we're all nervous. Actors are always nervous. And the breath work, the body work, can get you more in touch with your emotional life, your intellectual life, but the nerves are not going to go away. And I don't think nerves are a bad thing. That's the life force flowing through our veins. That's our passion. And if I realize that that's just my heartbeat, I'm not going to change that, hopefully. <laughs> it just means that I'm alive. And that that excitement, it's a good thing. Quite often I see actors trying to let it go, get rid of it. That's the juice. How do you harness that? How do you energize that and integrate that to your acting, your violin playing, your dancing, your teaching? There's nothing wrong with nerves. Absolutely. So we've heard a lot of great things today. If you had to distill your advice to the three most important points for teachers, what would you say? Number one, listening. Listening is key. You listen to what the other person is saying. You let go of the internal judgment, listening to your brain, just saying the same junk every day. I wrote these three things down. I had four. Lighting. I would say lighting is imperative. Breathing. And I would also say, I have one extra, is honesty. To truly tell the truth to your students, to the people in your life, done with respect and kindness, it's a beautiful thing. Maybe I cheated, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, we don't mind extra tips. <laughs> it's an extra bonus <laughs> one there. We appreciate your time so much today. It yeah. was great to connect, and I think this is some really great advice. Teachers are taking on a lot this year and are doing such a great job, and so these are things that they can work into their lesson plans uh, if they so desire. And I think it will make them command that virtual classroom in the same way that they command that brick and mortar classroom. Excellent. Thanks for what being a with us. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You as well. Thank you so much. This show has been brought to you by K12 Clothing. K12 Clothing is a PTA dad created business focused on providing high quality school apparel while increasing access to educational resources through fundraising in schools. Learn more at k12clothing.com. Make sure to visit our website at 
themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, we share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible, and we'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room.